Lord, we thank you so much for today. Um, we thank you that you raise the sun every morning and uh, keep us, Lord, that you are actively holding the universe together as we speak, as we're here. You are good, and you are a God who hears us, and a God who sees us, and a God who speaks to us. So Lord, let us hear your word today. Pray that my words and Greg's words today would not be our own, but would be yours, that you would use them to uh, not just teach, Lord, but to have an, help others have an inward reality change and experience of your word that goes beyond just a, a head knowledge thing, but that they would get a heart knowledge today. I pray that we would all be active in worship today, that we would uh, be engaged and feel your presence, Lord, because we need your presence. We need your, the peace and joy that you offer to us. Let us expect that from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our title for today is Faith is a Key to Corporate Anointing. So, first, if you open with me to John 11... And the verse I want to point out here is, is verse 40. But what's going on here, if you look at the context, this is the raising of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus has been dead, and uh, they sent for Jesus, saying, you know, and, and it, the Lazarus was a good friend. He was a close friend. Um, but it's interesting because these people who, who were there knew Jesus and knew who he was and what he was capable of, at least he thought. <laughs> and he had to tell Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And that's the point of our message today. Um, don't you believe that we're going to see the glory of God? Don't you know that if we believe, we will see the glory of God? Time and time again, you know, he goes after that and, and talks to, he, he prays to the Father like, I did this for their sake. I know you hear me. But I call to you and thank you that you heard me for their sake so that they know that you answered my prayer. Time and time again, Jesus is healing people, and he's saying it's because of your faith you are healed, right? And uh, he puts a big emphasis on this, this faith, or believing who he is, believing who God is. And that's the point of today's message. So as always, um, I like to go back to kind of the, the telos as... Nathan pointed out last week, um, the end, the chief end. What, what's our purpose? Why are we created? Because if we don't know why we're created, then why do we have motivation to believe anything else I'm going to tell you today or believe anything else that Christ, has called, or Christ calls us to? 
if we don't, if we're not motiva- motivated by his goals, by his chief end. So why were we created? And as you can see all the way at the end of the flow chart, it's to glorify God. You can see that in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's 31. But like it says time and time again in scripture that that's what we were created for. Like if you're going to do anything, do all things to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. That's what we're all about, is glorifying God. So how do we glorify God? Um, In scripture, you can see that anointing is a part of that. God anoints his people to supernaturally do things that otherwise their sin nature would prevent them from doing, which is to glorify God. And we're going to talk about how that anointing, we're going to talk about it in the context of a corporate anointing. So anything I say today, you can take to the, the individual, and these are truths for an individual, but today I'm focusing on the corporate, okay? Because we have individuals who are experiencing anointing right now, and we have individuals in our church who aren't, okay? But we don't just want some individuals in our church church experiencing anointing. We want our church experiencing anointing, not just some people. We want it to be something that we're all experiencing. And so we're going to see how that corporate anointing leads to glorifying God, but also congregational environment leads to corporate anointing. And I'll explain what that means, right? So whatever Whatever you're experiencing, a big part of that is, is what environment you're in. Um, I'll give some examples of that later on. But at, even before the environment, like the environment rests on faith, okay? Um, believing, in other words. So glorifying God is our chief end. Our corporate anointing is, is uh, an example of this would be like how he anointed David, right? Um, after David was anointed, like you could see the supernatural work of what God was doing in him to fulfill his commandment. Like it wasn't just David the, the shepherd boy anymore. It was David the king that, that God had anointed, Christ even attributes God anointing him, and that's what, what, motiv- or what fueled his works. What fueled his, his ministry was the anointing of God on him. One of the first things you see in Christ's ministry is, is him being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and God, saying, God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he was being anointed in that moment. He was being identified as the Father's Son, and he was given the Holy Spirit in a greater sign, so to speak. You know, he had the Holy Spirit the whole time, but this was a greater release. This was a, a, a point in his ministry where God was saying, God the Father was saying, like, go, do, do my will. It's time, go forth. So anointing is very important, and it is even more so in our corporate setting. So the, the congregational environment is it's important to life 
I mean, the example I would use is like how a baby's formed, right? We all know that they're born into amniotic fluid and like this is where the life, it's very important that what's contained in that amniotic fluid is at right levels, the hormones are at right levels and the nutrients are at right levels and all this because without it, the baby wouldn't make it. And so, you know, I, my sisters both, I mean, I've got seven nieces and nephews. My mom's a labor and delivery nurse, so I hear a lot about, you know, pregnancies and, and that process. And I know how many checkups and appointments there are during that process. It seems like almost, there's almost one like every week, it seems like, you know, like there, there's always some checkup going on. And if anything's even the slightest wrong, whether it's related directly to the pregnancy or not, it involves the pregnancy. You know, if uh, my sister had to get a gallbladder removed during pregnancy, and normally that's just, that's not even necessarily related to it, but it's extra cares taken because she was pregnant. So it's very important, this environment that you're born into And, and I'd say that um, James 2.17 even relates to this. And James 2.17 says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So the reason I bring this up is a lot of people say this is an argument for, like, uh, we're not saved by faith alone. Um, that somehow James and, and or Peter and Paul are like, antithetical to each other, right? Like somehow they're, these ideas of, of faith without works is dead and somehow we're saved by faith and faith alone. Like somehow those are, are against each other, but they're not. You know, the first thing that happens is God gives us faith and if that doesn't bear out works, if this doesn't bear out works into our environment, then you really didn't have faith in the first place is what James, it's saying here in James. Okay. So we're going to see why, like, in a congregational environment, what I mean by why I brought this up is these works, that is the environment we're trying to cultivate, okay? Or the, the signs of a good environment. You know, as a, as a church, you know there's, there's faith if there's people are worshiping. There's faith if people are in the word. There's faith if there's, there's holiness, these are the works that, that are talked about in this, this verse. If there's faith, there's evangelism, right? That's what we're looking for in our environment is, is the, are these things. There's healings, okay? There's so many other good things from God. And that's, that's the environment that, that kind of bears into this corporate anointing or anointing. Um, one of the times this comes up most in, in uh, my life is when I'm going through a baptism of the Holy Spirit series with someone. And, uh, you know, like, anointing is really important when you talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's ha there's, there's five examples of it in Acts that you can go look at of of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
and you can take them and look at them like Acts 2, you look at these, this, these disciples, these group of people, these 120 so people that are in the upper room when they're first given the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It didn't just happen to them because they were just sitting around doing nothing, twiddling their thumbs. They were in that room praying. There was an environment that they had cultivated because they believed God, because they had faith that God would do what he said, which was clothe them with power from on high. They weren't just sitting around. They were praying earnestly to God. They were worshiping. Like, the fact that they were in that upper room in Jerusalem is insane because their leader, the one guy who was preventing them all from being killed by the Pharisees and all the others, just died. And was raised, and then at this point, he had left them, right? He had, he had gone up to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. So they, were, they had perfectly reasonable, like they could have been in fear. They could have been living in fear. They could have left Jerusalem and no one would have batted an eye and said, look down on them for leaving Jerusalem because they were the, like, Top 120 most wanted right then. Okay. People were killing Christians. They killed the Christ. But they believed so much they remained in that city because God had told them to and promised something to them. So they were cultivating, they were in an environment that cultivated a corporate anointing. Okay. How you can see this in the individual, I see people all the time, there's, you know, if you're really seeking the Lord, fasting, praying out to him, crying out to him, he's going to answer your prayers. He's going to fill you with anointing. But a lot of people get frustrated and they give up and it's like, well, like, how much of an environment are you actually in? How much do you actually believe that this is going to happen? It's really important. And, and even further than that, like if, if someone isn't able to have much of anointing inside of themselves, when we get together and pray for them, that's a part of our job as more, you know, people have, lived the Christian life and been filled and anointed and, and can bring this person along. This is why I'm talking about corporate anointing because there needs to be some kind of momentum, right? Like the ball needs to get rolling for there to be corporate anointing. There's this constant tug of war when you're in a group setting. Like I can tell you that there's several people who will, will attest to this. When we were having worship services at RCF the last two years, those were some of the best worship sessions. Better than on Sunday, by far. Why? Corporate anointing. The same people who were there on Friday nights were here on, on Sundays, but you know who wasn't there on Friday nights? 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason. There's a tug of war going on for, for this environment this, that breeds God's anointing. So that's why I'm, I see it's super important to talk about corporate anointing and not just individual anointing. Because, there, you know, we're reading When Heaven Invades Earth, which is a, a book about the miraculous coming, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, what does that mean? It's going to look like heaven. There's going to be miracles and things like that. And I've been asked, why aren't we seeing this in our church? And I'd say it's because we don't have corporate anointing. You know, if we were living in a corporate atmosphere of expectation and faith that God will fill our expectations because he said so, we would see a lot more miracles. But we're not. So, the key, the, the key thing I want to get to right now is faith. So this pyramid here, it, just to give you the idea of like, one is built or bolstered or, or emboldened, built up by the others. Um, so under faith, there's, faith has two aspects, right? Relationships and expectations. So we're going to talk about relationships. Relationships are who, why it's relationships is because, you know, oftentimes we look at faith and it's like, well, what do you believe? But really it's, it's more so who do you believe? Because I know Christians who believe all the right stuff, but they don't believe God for them. You know, they know all the right answers, but they don't really believe in God. Like that he'll fulfill those things. That he is the one that, that we're relating to. This is, it's an identity term, okay? This relationships thing. It's, it's really identity-centered. Um, and what I mean by that is that our identity comes from God. He named us. You know, you go into Genesis, and the only animal, animal not, or thing not named by man was man himself, okay? God named man. We didn't write our names in the book of life. God did. So he has ownership over us. He's in charge of our identity. We're not in charge of our identity. We don't get to come up with who we are or what we're called to. God does because he named us. It's a very important theme that comes up time and time again. Uh, Abram being named Abraham. Saul being named Paul. Right? Mary was given Jesus' name from God. Right, this is this naming and ownership thing is super important. It's our identity. Our identity is found in our name. We're Christians. What does that mean about our identity? Does that mean that we find our identity in some political party? No. 
Our identity is something greater. It's given from God. It's not something we choose or fall into or even our parents don't choose our names that much, right? Like God chooses us. He's the one who, did, who knew us in our mother's womb. One of the things that, you know, why this is such a big deal to me is because, you know, like I see a lot of people who's, who have a hard time understanding this because they never received an identity from their earthly father. And what I mean by that is, is not that you weren't na- unnamed. Like, <laughs> there's no one here that doesn't have a name. They were given a name at some point, I assume. Uh, and if you don't have a name, then introduce yourself to me later or not. Uh, <laughs> but I was blessed with a father who took that, that call to instill God's identity on me very seriously. And how he did that was telling me he was proud of me, right? Or I can't tell you how many times he, he prayed over me, not just for my safety, but for the call of God on my life. How many times he told me, like, this is the standard God's calling you to. He didn't mix that up with his own standards. I mean, he's not perfect, so sometimes he did, but he never said that those were God's standards. But he made sure that he, I knew that I wasn't, just, like, I wasn't his son, I was God the Father's son. And that my standards for how I live and what I'm called to are based on God the Father and what he put on me, what his identity for me was. So who are we to God? Romans 8.17 says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Galatians 4, 7 says something very similar. It says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you hear no longer a slave, the first thing that should come to mind is like scripture that says you're a slave to sin. That's no longer your identity as a Christian, is to be a slave to sin. And if you don't get that, then we're not going to have faith enough to have corporate anointing. If you continue living out an identity of one that is a slave to sin, you're not going to have the faith necessary for corporate anointing. If you don't realize that you're an heir of God, that you're inheriting a kingdom then you're not going to live out a faith worthy of a corporate anointing. So the next part, aspect of faith is expectations. So what can we, this is what can we depend on this relationship for, right? 
So my father gave me an identity of you're my son. And so what does that mean in my relationship to him? It means he's going to provide for me. I can bank on that. That I'm not going to go hungry. Or when I was under his house, that I wasn't going to go hungry. I didn't work that out of my head as a, as a kid. God put that in me to know that he's my father. He's the one who's going to provide for me. He's going to be the one that protects me. You know, I had this, if I was afraid, I knew who to run to. Because I knew who my father was. So what can we expect from our relationship with God? I'd say all this and more. You know, because we don't just have God the Father, we have God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's so many aspects to this relationship we have with God, with the Godhead. Like, we can expect protection, provision, relationship, like communication, communion. We can expect nurturing, teaching. We can expect things from God. And if, if you're asking me, like, how do I know what I can expect from God? I'd say, read your Bible. <laughs> and a good place to start is every time it says, God will, dot, dot, dot. You can expect God will do that for you or do that thing. You can expect that from God. What will God do? What he says he'll do. <laughs> He's not a liar. God doesn't lie to us. So read your Bible. That gets me to our next point. Um, how faith is built. So we can... This idea of who... Our relationship to God and our expectations of God are, are bolstered or strengthened or built up by that bottom row, which is that God is sovereign, God is good, and God is able. And if we get those three ideas, if we have those in the back of our mind as we're reading scripture, it's going to change your life. So first, can you turn with me to Romans 10? So, if you're reading just Romans 13 through 17, uh, you see this, this call to fulfill something, this call to believe. Um, and believe in, and preach the word of God. Like, that's what our, 
our expect one of the expectations of us is. So that's just a side note. But what we're really going after here is Romans ten seventeen, that says, "So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ." So we are not going to have a corporate anointing if we don't have a, a, a corporate environment that's built on the basis of faith unless we're reading the Word of God and hearing God. Not just reading the Word, but hearing God. And what you'll find time and time again God saying is that God is sovereign, God is he's good, and he's able. Time and time again, that is what God's trying to say to you when you're reading the word. So listen, church. Listen to him. These are, these are good things. So often we, you know, in our rebellious hearts, our self-centered individualism, we look at things like God's sovereignty and think that that's a bad thing. But you know who doesn't lay awake at night with fear and anxiety? People who know that God's sovereign. You know who doesn't have uh, self-condemnation or identity issues or uh, performance-based issues? People who know that God is good. That's a good thing. You don't want to have self-condemnation, do you? And you don't want to be a hypocrite, do you? You know who's not a hypocrite? People who know that God's able. You can see, I, I picked out just some very straightforward verses that speak to this. But really, the whole Bible speaks to this. But even Ephesians 1, 11 says, Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. And there's like, even now, like, my, like tons of verses are coming to my mind. Like, and if that's not happening to you, then you haven't been hearing God's word. And I'd encourage you to read his word and to listen and to look for these things. Psalm 105 says, for the Lord is good. Pretty straightforward. It says his loving kindness is everlasting. Even better. And his faithfulness to all generations. Not only is God good to me, but he's going to be good to my children. Now 
not only is God good to his church right now, but he's going to be good to his church in a thousand years. And Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a beautiful picture of what we've been talking about this whole time. You know, he's talking about to him be the glory in the church. So glorifying God in the church, that's our corporate anointing because it says according to the power that works within us, the church. More abundantly beyond all that we ask, it's saying we have an environment of asking God for things. And it's saying, why can we have faith? Because he's able. So I don't want you to, to listen today and, and hear this, this idea that we need more faith as a, as a church and say, I need to just conjure up more faith, like, or just do my best to build up my faith. That's going to work. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you hear the laughs. Like those, The people who are laughing are people who have tried that. And it's pretty much all of us, right? <laughs> like, we, we can't conjure up our own faith. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to have the faith to believe that God will do a miracle. Or that I've tried to have the faith that, like, I, I know this is the word of God so deeply that, like, I'm just enthralled with it and can't get enough of reading his word. I can't conjure up that faith. I can't conjure up the faith that gives us a worshipful heart in and of myself. That's not, I'm not strong enough. I've never, I haven't met anyone strong enough to do that yet. Um, not good faith anyways. So this isn't, why I mentioned Romans ten seventeen is because this isn't, Even the, the faith that comes from knowing these ideas, knowing how we relate to God and what we can expect from him, knowing that he's sovereign, that he's good, and that he's able, those things we can know in our head, but we won't know for real unless it's given to us by God because we're hearing his word. So even our faith comes from him. The fact that, that we're here today, that any one of you is here today, is, is a miracle. There's so many other things we could be doing right now that the world sees as better. But you're here. Listening to me. <laughs> Like, it, no one would pay to come here. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not up here telling you any, like, spectacular jokes or uh, playing some 
beautiful music to you. I'm not even that great of a speaker, honestly. But you're not here for me. You're here for God because he chose you. And he wants to speak to you through his word. And he wants to see your faith built up. He wants you to know that he is God and that you are an heir to his kingdom with Christ. And he wants to see that turn into works. He wants that inward reality, that truth, that faith that he gave you turn into works that point back to him. He wants to see that in a church that corporately, together, congregationally, cries out to him. He wants to see a group of people, his chosen children, excited about worshiping together. Expecting him to show up. And I think it's important to note that these expectations, again, if you didn't get this before, I I just want to restate it. Like these expectations aren't our expectations. That's why you're reading the word of God and not, not like, oh, I can just, you know, I know God's heart. You don't. Not well enough. Our expectations of what God's going to do is always less than what he's actually going to do. Back to that Ephesians 3.20, it says, For him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask for him. Ask or think. Far more abundantly beyond. That's like four words to say you haven't got it yet. Like you really have low expectations of God. You don't know who you're, who you're asking of things from. You don't know who you're crying out to. This God's a good God. This God is an able God. This God is a sovereign God. So we, we go through uh, this Christian life and... And a lot of us have such low expectations. I'm the chief among them. You know, that's always in the back of my head when I'm praying for someone. You know, I don't have the faith to believe that God's going to answer our prayers. I don't have enough faith, that is. Because I know that even if, he, even if I had the faith that he'd answer the prayer... Like, I'm not even expecting him to do it far more abundantly than I ask for him or ask of him. That's not in the back of my head. Like, if I expected him to do far more abundantly, I'd ask him for more abundantly. <laughs> right? Like, like, if we knew that that was on the table, like, if you're haggling with someone and you're like, can you give me it for, you know, he's asking for you know, $150 for something. And you're like, I'll give you a hundred. And he's like, okay. 
And he's like, in the back of his head, I would have given it to you for 50. Like, if you knew $50 was on the table, you would have taken it. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> if you knew more abundant was on the table, we would ask for it. But we don't, because we have low expectations, because we don't know the God that we're asking these things from. We don't know God. We don't know his standards. We don't know his expectations. And my first cry to him today would be that we do. Because we'd be living our lives radically different. We'd get a lot less sleep. We'd waste a lot less time. we'd be seeing a lot more miracles. And I'm come up here as the chief amongst us who doesn't get this or, or needs to hear this. Every time I come up here and preach to you guys, it's something that God's been working on my heart for a while. Okay? I don't come up here and teach. I come up here and preach, which means I've, God's trying to reveal this in his word to me. So we want to see corporate anointing. We want to see these, these miracles. We want to see people coming in here and lives being changed, not just some anemic ministry that we can muster up ourselves. Let me tell you the idea you got to get in your heads today, if nothing else, is that if you're living a Christian life that you can achieve under your own strength, it's not a Christian life. Anyone could do the Christian things. There's reasons that ministers fail all the time. It's because they've been doing their ministry under their own strength. The Christian life is impossible. Asking for the anointing that is promised to us in scripture is an impossible, unbelievable, unthinkable kind of thing that we are audacious to even think of asking God. But we can come to him and ask him for these things because he's promised it to us. Because he's a sovereign God who is good and able. Because he, we have relationship with him. We can have his expectations. He, he lays out in scripture his expectations. We don't have to make up our own expectations. So why do we? Why do we settle for our wimpy, anemic, like shriveled up, raisinette kind of expectations? Like, that's what God sees when he, he's like, this is what you're asking? Like, that's all you want? It's like when a little kid comes up to you and asks for their birthday for, for something like really silly, like, I want a pet rock for my birthday or something. And, and the parent's like, that's all you want for your birthday or for Christmas? Are you sure? Like, okay. You know, like, like Christiana was saying that one of her favorite things as a, a, as a birthday treat for their birthday was to go to McDonald's. <laughs> You oblige your children, but you're like, I would have made steak for you. <laughs> but all you asked for was McDonald's. 
We're asking for McDonald's, guys. And I'm not like, that's, like how ridiculous is that? That we come on Sundays expecting a McDonald's worship. We just want that little toy in the Happy Meal when God's ready to give us his kingdom. So, again, this is something that, that you can look at. You can, I think I got, you can see this and, and, and see that this faith can lead to our, you know, I'll go back to the first slide. We can take this, this flow chart as an individual and that's what it, it comes down to individuals, each and every one of you looking at this as individuals. But unless a lot of individuals get on board with this, we're never going to have this be a corporate truth. If individuals don't get this, we're not going to get this corporately. And if you think you're insignificant, that you can just ride the coattails of everyone here, you're robbing your brothers and sisters of God's anointing. If you think that you aren't, because you're not preaching or you're not on the worship team, that you can coast by and just rely on everyone else to be prepared for worship on Sunday, that you can waste your Saturday night watching TV or drinking or whatever it is and waste it, you're robbing your brothers and sisters. You're robbing me. And I know I've robbed you guys a lot of times. But it's serious. You're not just in this for yourself. You're in this corporately. We're a family. You know, the principle of the, um, when you're in a big family, like I was, like, you get pretty quickly the idea that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Uh, what that means is that, you know, there's not just one wheel, but the loudest one gets the oil. And so you tend to, like, that takes away from the other siblings, you know, if the, the one sibling's always crying out for attention and, and this or that, or like not pulling their weight, I can't tell you, tell you how many times I didn't do my chores and my siblings had to do them for me. That's what you're doing when you're not trying to hear God's word. When you think it's okay to live your life with low expectations that you can coast by without reading your Bible, that you can coast by without preparing for worship, without fasting and crying out to God. Showing, If we were a zealous church that really wanted corporate anointing, all of us would be there on Wednesday night. But we're not. There is some awesome worship Wednesday nights. I can't tell you how much God's opened my eyes with hearing Stephen talk on Wednesday nights. But I bet most of us don't even listen to the podcast of what Stephen says. 
and you want miracles, you want corporate anointing, your actions tell me differently. My actions say differently. That's why I'm up here speaking of this so zealously because like God's convicting me of it individually. But it's a burden of mine that none of us are squeaky wheels. None of us are taking, lagging behind, being pulled along. That we're all vying for the, to pull the cart forward. That we're all rushing to, to prepare for worship. That we're in this together. That we care so deeply about each other. Nathan talked about, I'm, I'm going over time, but that's okay. Thanks, Stephen. For great, for... Uh, Nathan talked about unity and what that means for the church. You know, you'll know them by their love for one another. Tell you what, low expectations is not love for one another. Not giving up your Saturday nights or whatever else it is that, you know, living a life in, in sin, like not repenting of your sin and, and not living a life that you're soaking in God's word is the opposite of loving your brother and sister. The world's not going to look at a church that that doesn't care enough to show up on a Wednesday night or show up at 9.30 prepared and ready with, a, with a, a broken and contrite heart, a heart that expecting, that's expecting God to move, a heart that's anywhere else but in God's presence. They're not going to look at that kind of church and say they love each other. They must have an awesome God. This is super important because there's some of us who like have been aching for more of God corporately. Crying out to God. But you can't, you can't expect one or two people to drag a whole church into the presence of God. I can't drag you guys there. I can't, I have hard enough time dragging myself into the presence of God. I can't drag, like I, the only reason I know God's presence is because of his goodness to me and the fact that I know him through his word. And I've been expecting, you know, I've been a part of churches who have far less knowledge of the word. Um, people aren't as committed to the practical needs and stuff but they had expectations during worship that, my goodness, guys, there are people a lot less holy than you and a lot less knowledgeable, knowledgeable than you that are experiencing God in greater ways. And I've seen it and I've been a part of it. And I've been thirsting for it ever since. Amen.